0: my shit up knuckles all fat and shit side though it's all good lift his ass so bad his stepmom's gonna feel me for the next three birthdays out this small boy. look what his homeboy did to the side of your
1: head what you talking about kid this shit he ain't fading nothing over here though one ass whooping man they still one. how you figure that man I'm sharing your twitter look around you man they own this shit they on this couch you sitting on, them shoes you got on your feet, this building, this school, this country,
0: you. We behind enemy lines, dawg. One beat down and never compare to 439 years of captivity. Never. <coughs> I don't know shit. Freshman. <coughs>
2: to you by the fuck that Father Teresa does not give we do our best to engage with these topics in a manner that is sensitive and considerate to (coughs) you our listeners and your lived experiences however we understand that some of these subjects can pack a punch so we strongly support whatever you need to do to take care of yourself as an audience member whether that be Pouring yourself a glass of wine before pressing play, listening to our show with a warm, furry animal in your lap, (coughs) or even turning off today's show and doing whatever brings you peace and joy and intellectual detox before tuning in next week. We welcome all feedback and comments related to our show, including requests for future topics you would like to hear us cover or suggestions for ways we can improve our handling of emotionally and psychologically heavy material. You are listening to Father Teresa's wine cellar.
1: You know, on this couch you're sitting on.
2: This show, them shoes you got on your feet, is brought to you. This building by the fuck? This school, this country, you that Father Teresa does not give.
1: Oh, right WineCellarMedia.com, this is indeed Talk Fury, and you can tell that it's definitely a dated show opener, that thing still says Father Teresa's Wine Cellar, that is elder. Alright, so, Talk Fury, I do again think that this is constructive, it's interesting, straight up, the concept of privilege, let's riff about it, right, 2020 episode, Dr. Springler's here, um, Phoenix Collider, uh, some colored woman involved with the SWAP organization. I have no idea what you're talking about. That, that can neither
3: be confirmed nor denied at this time.
1: And even uh, taking a look over here at uh, 773. Also uh, came and tuned in on the line. I have that microphone hot. And so what the topic of privilege Phoenix? when's the last time you talked about this?
3: Uh, it's been quite some time
1: <laughs> <laughs> that we've talked about privilege. Right. And when I, when I say it, I'm talking just the very simplistic, unearned advantage. Yeah. Right? Like, Phoenix Cleeter wow. gets sick very often. I don't get sick very often. Not since 1999 <laughs> and uh, 1992, the only two times. And I didn't earn that. I didn't get up and go earn health. <laughs> right. I didn't bust my ass to be healthier than the next person. I just got a fucking genetic lottery. Yeah. It's an unearned advantage. It's a health based privilege. Yeah. Right? If I, um, I really think that even, um, not really a class thing, we didn't have a great deal of money, but just having my biological mother and I see who was raising other folks when they were small children, just having that unearned advantage. I had a privilege in having who my biological mother was and how she was a privilege you, see, you got any freckles um, you got more than the average bear I do
3: have more than the average bear when it comes to freckles uh, when it comes to privilege I uh, you say unearned advantage I tend to think of it as um, if you were a different person your life would be harder in the same situation um, and I frame it that way on purpose because a lot of people will be like well you know you'll say like white privilege exists but you know there's poor white uh, like mining communities in Appalachia And it's like, yes, that absolutely exists, and there's, uh, you know, just because you do have a privilege, it doesn't mean that your life can't be difficult, it doesn't mean that you won't face struggles, it just means that if um, you were a different person in that same situation, it would be even harder than it already is. Like, yes, being poor is hard and shitty, being poor when you're black is harder, being poor when you're disabled is harder, you know what I mean? Um, So that sort of thing, and uh, so yeah, I oddly enough, I think... um, I have a lot of privilege because of my upbringing, even though foster care was incredibly abusive and racist and things like that. It did, um, you know, show me how to navigate white culture. I can speak very white. Like, when I'm on the phone, people think they're talking to a white person, and that actually has a huge amount of privilege um, in interactions combined with being light skin, I can definitely, while I still face racism, there's definitely times that I've been able to diffuse situations where if I'd been darker or talked differently that I would definitely perceive to be much more aggressive and that, as we know, has lethal consequences when you're not white.
1: And Dr. Springler, how, how, how would you jump in? What, what would you start off talking about privilege with?
4: Yeah, you know, I think the... Two concepts that the two of you have brought up so far are an interesting way to start thinking about privilege, maybe especially for people who haven't really engaged with this issue before or are kind of down with like the, the lingo of privilege being thrown around, you know, quote unquote social justice kind of communities or um, spaces. You know, when we talk about privilege, you know, with something like, William, what you were saying about being able-bodied in a way, like, okay, well, I I don't get sick for a certain amount of time that makes me privileged. Or, you know, Phoenix, when you say, okay, um, you know, having having a white whiter dialect should be just because of upbringing in certain ways, that being a privilege, you know, it's hard for some people to understand at first to say, well, what does that mean? It's a privilege. It's not because it's natural or individual. It's because something in society has framed that in order to ha- have easier access or resources or whatever it is to privilege a certain group of people while others don't have those things. It's not natural, right? The way your voice sounds should not, should not naturally in the natural world and biologically affect whether or not you have an easier time in life, whether you get resources whether or not you receive violence or not. But because of being a racist or ableist or sexist, all these things combine society, it changes how other, how people are divided into um, groups of privilege versus insecurity or violence. So I think people have to be able to wrap their heads around what it means. It doesn't mean that you individually have that. It means society has constructed privilege for certain people in order to keep a social hierarchy so it's it's a social construct that has very real effects on our
3: individual lives So, oh yeah i definitely agree with that especially the social construct part and you know i get that people say like oh well how come if i'm privileged how come this bad thing or that bad thing and it's like but would you be worse off if you were someone else if you were part of a different group and you know i think that a lot of people deep down when they really stop and think about it would acknowledge that because, you know, it it clicks when you sit down and really, really think about it. But I think that just because, um, well, partially I think because American culture is so hyper-individualistic, but I think that's also, um, that sort of like American exceptionalism type of propaganda pushes that hyper-individualism, that it makes it hard for people to consider themselves as part of a group and to consider... um, as a group dynamic what privilege looks like and it's like yeah even though there's you know pick any group right whether it's gender or race or income level or you know whatever shitty things might happen to people of that group it's like as a whole statistically speaking your odds are significantly better the more privileges you have you know and People love to point to exceptions as uh, to sort of like deflate, they'll be like, Oh, well, I'm left less privileged than Obama's kids. And it's like, uh, So is everybody else. Like, uh-huh. you know, so are all the other black people in the world. Like, come on now. Um, but then when it comes to asking, would you rather be, you know, um, if you're already in a situation where maybe you have a disability or maybe you are. Uh, you know, you're marginalized in some way, and you ask, would you Would you also like to be a woman? Would you also like to be black? Would you also like to be trans? You know, and just start adding shit on, and people don't typically say yes, and so, like, they understand, uh, I think, deep down, but it really is hard for people to grasp it as a systemic uh, sort of concept or as a social concept to talk about a group, because it's always easy to be like, well, you know, you say I have this privilege, but this, this shitty thing happened to me, and it's like but would it have been worse if you were part of another group odds are like you know and i think that's people where people get caught up just because of that um obsession with the hyper individualism of like but if it doesn't apply to me personally it's not a real thing and it's like it's a it's a real fucking thing come on now
1: yeah and you know men don't yeah. want to be women because all the things that men threaten each other for or slur each other as is something of which would assi- assign you an opposite gender yep <laughs> dr springle you were about to uh, say something
4: yeah, you know, I was, I've, you know, I've got a few different thoughts and ways to take, you know, this whole conversation. But, um, you know, I think maybe, maybe throwing out some examples can kind of help people. Like, especially if we're talking about something like, you know, white privilege. You know, we can take the example of like, okay, so you've got two poor people. If you have you know, for instance, a poor black person and a poor white person. Both don't have a job or both are gross, both are economically maybe not privileged, but when it comes time to getting a job, who sends in an application and gets accepted by white bosses first? Who then is able, when they apply to get housing, who is discriminated against for a loan versus who gets it? Then who is, um, who, are, who are targeted by the banks, like back in 2008, for those homeowners that were targeted by the big banks to get subprime mortgages, for instance, just so that the banks knew that they could get away with taking and foreclosing those houses on those poor people and then get a bank bailout from the president of the United States, basically, to refund them for all that. Because they knew they could get away with that when they did that to black and Latino homeowners primarily. Mm-hmm. So like when we look at that, you take two poor people, but the impact will be very different. Or when they are down and out, who has white relatives who have maybe generational wealth they have parents that can help them through college or something like that versus people who have been shut out of that since Jim Crow so like you take two people it's true that they're that maybe they they both deal with classism but there's a lot of intersecting issues that you have to look at where privilege does end up coming in and it can be the difference between surviving or not you know
1: yeah and uh, I guess an an example there a very direct example I could pull is an individual by the name of Chris Hassert Chris Hassert and um and this individual I actually worked with them before at the same company and um and come to find out this person their family owns a church (laughs) and so every month he just gets a big fat check and that's actually how he paid his mortgage and like he that's not the first thing he'll tell you, though. Mm-hmm. So pri- privileged people know that, mm-hmm. you know, so the first thing he'll tell you is, oh, well, you know, I started working here and, you know, over the years, I actually doubled my salary. Now, when he says that, remember, and I know he actually said tripled, I remember, but you got to <laughs> keep in mind, it's Florida. When he started in the 90s, the minimum wage was low as shit. Yeah. So he didn't triple his salary. He just got the regular wages that you would get at regular wage increase you would get mm-hmm. with the company every year plus the minimum wage going up. Yeah. You know, but he'll he makes it a bootstrap story when actually he could afford to have that low-paying job because that check was just coming in from his white family in the south owning that Baptist church for so many generations. Mm -hmm. It's just a guaranteed check.
3: So it reminds me of those stories of the white folks, uh, like young white people who'll be like, um, we are two college kids who had $80,000 worth of debt and here's how we got rid of it in three years. And then it's like some bullshit, like my dad hired my husband at his company and we live in my grandma's spare condo rent free. It's like, nigga, what the fuck? That's not fucking (laughs) that's not you like being prudent and coming up with some fucking plan that's you having a family that has privilege and resources and generational wealth what the fuck if we all had a grandma and we could just live in her fucking condo we all would like to pay off debts like you're not like what you did isn't even um like particularly clever right because anybody would fucking do that if they had the ability to do so but they really you know are making it sound like we really have this like foolproof plan that anybody can do and it's like no not everybody has a family member who has a spare property that you can live in rent free or only you know like pay the taxes and utilities on you know not everybody has those things but yeah it's just wild to me when you talk about privilege that people really will be just be like but my life is hard. It doesn't count. It doesn't apply to me. But then, it's you know, again, I always go back to it. It's like, so do you want to be in the same situation you're in and add, some, and add like, another marginalization to it? Like, do you want to be in a wheelchair in the same situation? Yeah. Do you? Do you? You want to be black? Do you? <laughs> like, huh. you know. And it's just, but,
4: um, yeah, it's honestly just wild to I me. I think that's... Uh-huh. Oh, go ahead. I think that's... Third. I think that's a good point, Phoenix. In terms of like where the benefit is at, and that really needs to be highlighted because I think what some people have trouble with in understanding privilege, and some of this is obstinance on purpose. People don't want to acknowledge this as a system, but um, that when there's a case of like a privilege and of and a, and a victim or somebody who doesn't have privilege in this certain area. You know, we're talking about like a cause and effect issue. You can't have one without the other. And I think that's the problem where people say, oh, I feel so bad about racism or sexism and all that. But I'm not doing that myself. I'm not, you know, as somebody who is not oppressed in that way, they will say, you know, okay, well, that's that's terrible that, you know, these people, you know, there's there's police brutality or, you know, black people are segregated and poor. I feel so bad about that. But I'm not doing that. As, you know, as a white person, then is like saying that and it's like, no, there's a what we would call like a dialectical relationship. That's what Hegel would call it, the writer, right? It would be mm-hmm. meaning cause and effect. You don't say it one without the other. But we have to understand that if somebody is a victim of something, it's because somebody else is actually benefiting from it. Right. And we have to say, I think to have privilege, you have to have a benefit, even if you can't, even if it's hard for the person to see it because it's all around them and it's passive to them. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, like somebody might say, well, me being white and having a job, what is, how is that a benefit? Like, how does that, you know, I just have to have a job? And it's like, well, maybe what is your career in? You know, last week we talked about um, the nonprofit industrial complex. If you have a job and you're, you know, you're privileged from birth to have parents who can help you with college or something like that, or even not, even if you, you know, were a victim of classism and you weren't privileged in that way, maybe as a white person, but you come up. You go to college, you get hired at a nonprofit or some other industry that your job is directly to deal with um, homelessness or poverty, an issue that you're not affected by, but you have a career literally dealing with it. Like you're yeah. making money only because it's probably this problem exists. And right. that is an example of privilege. It might be passive to you because it's all around <coughs> you, but you're only doing that because you're in relationship to people that are a victim of something you're not.
3: Yep, exactly. Oh, I agree completely. <laughs> completely. Yeah. Yeah.
4: And I think that that's right.
3: a, I think that's a thing too is that um and you know, I I know I'm like always like bringing it back to race, but honestly, I think that race is one of the biggest places that I see that sort of logic applied is it's always people being like, "Well, why do black people need reparations? Like my family didn't own slaves. We didn't, you know, we're not racist." And it's like, "But you still benefit from slavery." And and I, I, again, like again that focus on the um Hyper individualism And it's really just not taking into account How slavery built the nation Not, I mean, yes, obviously some people Did better than others, like in particular Plantation owners, right, but People forget, like, that cotton That slaves were picking went up North to factories where White European immigrants were uh, When we started industrializing shit, right Um, That's where that went It got shipped, uh, stuff that You know, products slaves made got shipped back to Europe, and just, you know As somewhat of a a caveat, I guess, or like a little funny anecdote, I don't know, um, is that, you know, everybody loves uh, movies about pirates. And, you know, of course, the most famous franchise is Pirates of the Caribbean. But the reason that pirate movies are always set in the Caribbean is because of slavery, because uh, indigenous people and African slaves were imported. They were um, essentially making luxury goods or the materials for luxury goods, right, like sugar and cotton and coffee and uh, mining gold and other precious metals, and those materials were being shipped back to rich families in Europe. But that's literally why every pirate story, almost every pirate movie you ever see from, you know, the 16, 17, 1800s is based in the Caribbean, is because those were the trade routes of uh, rich colonizers bringing their stolen goods back to Europe so that Europe could flourish. And it was people trying to get a hand in uh, on those trade routes and that's that sort of thing that people don't take into account like it's easy to say um you know if you're white well I'm not racist and my family never owned slaves but did someone in your family work at a factory that made fabric from cotton that slaves picked did someone in your family have a job as a slave catcher Uh, cops looking at you Um, you know did somebody uh, in your family get to go to a school that was literally built by slaves hands you know did your someone in your family um you know uh have a job as like a carpenter making ships that ha- that hauled slaves you know it's those sort of things that people don't take into account by saying uh, well, I myself didn't own it, so I don't have that privilege. It's like, but you do in a certain way have that passive privilege because you still benefited from it. If your family built slave ships, even though they themselves didn't own slaves, that was a uh, an occupation that paid well, that kept your family uh, in a position to inherit generational wealth, while slaves did not, right? And so people really don't want that sort of personal accountability because um, they refuse to acknowledge how um entrenched these systems are in society and of course this is just one about race and slavery but there's so many um other systems right when it comes to uh native land theft like stealing land from indigenous people like you can talk about my family you know did everything bootstrapped and did everything themselves like but whose land are they on like how many people had what tribe had to die so that your family could build that fucking house you know what i mean and it just keeps going on right. and on and on, and it's like, who got excluded so your family could so your family could be included in mainstream society and succeed? Someone was excluded, and people really just do not want to have that conversation.
4: Yeah, and you know, I think it it highlights two things that about privilege being. I think it's both social and economic, right? Um, it, I mean, some, I mean, cases like white privilege would have both, and. You know what you were saying, Phoenix, about um, in terms of what are maybe the the more serious forms of privilege? I think this is an important topic to talk about because, you know, again, in the kind of comfortable social justice liberal kind of sense of politics, there's a lot of terms are jargon, like something like don't play, I I hear this all the time, you know, let's not play um, oppression Olympics, in other (laughs) words, meaning we need to validate all forms of oppression. But the problem with that is sometimes I think people theorize this stuff so much and they don't get real about stuff where it's like, if I had to compare, you know, people might think this is unfair, but if I had to compare disability rights or privilege or even sexism and compare it to white privilege, I would say, no, there is a hierarchy and white privilege would be at the top of it. If we're looking at material social effects of all of these things Mm -hmm. globally, what is the effect? It doesn't mean that other things aren't serious and need to be developed also within different groups that might not be privileged as well. But like, if we're going to be real, I'm not going to say that the, the, way the, the way that the world globally is constructed right now, I would say if you said that it's based on able bodies versus disabled bodies, mm-hmm. I would say that's not as accurate as saying between white and um, indigenous people around the world and the third world and, um, and colonialism. Um, so I'd like to hear what you two think on that concept of the hierarchy for one. It's a lot, it's a big topic, but also then, um, maybe the roots of it, because I know that when people try to separate all the different forms of privilege, they might say, oh, there's intersectionality. Some people might have privilege in one area, but they're not privileged in another. For instance, do black men have male privilege, but they are certainly victims of racism. They don't have white privilege. So there's a lot of talk about that, but sometimes I wonder about like well maybe if we look at it not just like these forms of privilege come out of them separate separate areas and vacuums, but literally if we didn't have colonialism, I don't think we would have we might not have sexism in the same way. That's not saying that only white people promote sexism, but for instance or homophobia. But if colonialism didn't come down and really jumpstart white privilege, you know, capitalism wouldn't be happening in this way. It's connected to <laughs> white supremacy um you could say in a lot of ways homophobia which you know so so you know being um I I would say like maybe hetero privilege or something like that that's another concept you know would that exist if colonialism didn't come in and destroy gender fluidity in other in other civilizations and um you know and tribes and things like that so let's where, where, where does the hierarchy work And maybe what is the root of all these things Can they be rooted together Or is it do they all just come separately out of a vacuum
3: You know what I mean Oh my god, so I love this topic so much um, And I know William's heard me Talk about it 10 million times But um, <clears throat> One of the things that I stress a lot Is that we don't know what would happen in other cultures because they had drastically different ideas about concepts like gender and sexuality and family units and so on and so forth. But everything we have now, because of colonialism, because of imperialism, is um, <clears throat> based on a essentially like a Christian white supremacist lens, and that's why people are so obsessed with the gender binary. People really don't realize um, like how common it was to have more than two genders in so many um, indigenous cultures. You know. And, you know, a lot of uh, African slaves who, you know, basically went throughout the Americas and the Caribbean came primarily from Western Africa. And certainly not every Western African culture, but several did have uh, multiple genders. They had there were deities that could change their genders. And so, like, it's almost an incredibly radical reimagining. And not to say that these societies would necessarily be um, completely socially equitable in every way. But it's drastically different when you think about if your starting point is a god that can change from male to female, depending on what they're needed to do that day, is drastically different than the concept of a male god and a very uh, strict gender binary. And so it's easy to say that anybody outside of that gender binary should be punished and therefore starts creating a concept of privilege there that you are able to... um, operate in the way society says you should operate based on your genitals essentially, right, is what that is and so it's just like a drastically different thing like, you know, and, and of course this is anecdotal, but it's interesting to me that when Columbus first arrived in the Caribbean, the first uh, indigenous tribe he contacted was the Taino people and the first his first observation was he kept calling them childlike because they were just so innocent and like just not malicious, which first of all teaches me that this like sadism and maliciousness that we see is absolutely um, taught by society, but also what's interesting to me is that the Taino people in particular, in their um, creation myths, their primary deity is a woman who gave birth to sons who then started um creating the world but if you think about that in contrast to like christianity where it's god spoke the world into existence and made men first and then created women to be help meets to men that's a very uh, different concept than a woman spontaneously gave birth to two men to two boys who became men who just wanted to make a pretty planet because they like trees and mountains and oceans and shit You know what I mean? And so then when you think about how, if that's your concept of your um, creation or the found, like the the bedrock of your religion, you're going to have very different opinions about gender and social equity and how to treat fellow humans when you're coming from a creation myth that's, you know, like all this peace, love and happiness and a woman made it versus this fire and brimstone. uh, God kills everybody all the time you know? And so I think that definitely needs to be part of that conversation about what would these cultures look like without imperialism? What would they look look like without colonialism? And, you know, um, also as a side note, I don't know if you know uh, Dr. Sarah Tabor on Twitter. Are you familiar with that account at all?
4: Uh, You said Sarah Abrams?
3: Tabor, T-A-B-E-R.
4: No I don't
3: think so. yeah uh, I would recommend you follow her. She's uh, really great and she does uh, she's a uh, has been a farmer and talks a lot about like agricultural history and things like that but from a leftist perspective and it's really interesting because she just made a thread about this like two or three days ago where she was saying that um, basically the concept of food shortages and farming them as we know them is a direct result of not just capitalism but specifically like colonialism and imperialism because before yeah. uh, Europeans were here, and before everything was colonized, it was just you didn't need to specifically own uh, animals that you would eat for meat. It was about herd management and wildlife management, not an obsession with owning land and owning your animals on it. And so, again, that, you know, just difference of that mentality is what would it look like if we had instead of the last hundred years of... Someone has to own it. Someone has to pay for it. Uh, someone has all the rights to it. You know, this obsession with owning more than the next person. What if we would have spent the last hundred years following um, more indigenous uh, Native American practices of let's just manage the wildlife and when you're hungry, go hunt one and eat one versus no, I have to own it and you can't touch it, you know. And so I, I definitely think that has a lot to do um, what as you're talking about like what would the world look like without colonialism what, what what would it look like without imperialism where would social hierarchies be how would they look there i think overall would be a lot more uh, equity uh, regardless of whether we're talking about gender race disability um income all those things because other uh, cultures have had drastically different opinions of what a person is worth but in this you know white um patriarchal, Christian, uh, capitalist society, you're only worth what you can produce for somebody who is your better, essentially, unless you get to become the better, right? So you're only worth what you can make for Jeff Bezos, unless you become Jeff Bezos. So if you can't work, uh, you know, do these fucking, these bullshit, you know, 10, 12 hour days on Amazon and like piss in a bottle because you don't have time to go to the bathroom, then essentially you're worthless under the system because you can't be exploited for labor. And because you can't be exploited for labor, then you have no value. And if you have no value, there, therefore, you know, we shouldn't be spending resources on you. We shouldn't be spending time on you. We shouldn't be giving you empathy or compassion or treating you as a human because you're not fulfilling your role as a person. And so, you know, just those fundamental differences of what we should be valuing about humanity based on cultures is huge and has so much to do when it comes to privilege. Um, because, you know, as was stated earlier, privilege is how society views you, um, and how society thinks, uh, of you, but it's based on how well you conform to standard society has preset for you. And the standards we have are really fucking tough right now. Yeah. Sorry. I got and all tangenty you, on that me, one. <laughs> what's that? I said, sorry, I got all tangenty on that one, but yeah, I'm just like super obsessed with yeah, talking about not that. not a
4: tangent at all. But it's not a tangent at all. You know, it's like when you say, when you're talking about, um, at the end there about workers like being useless if they can't perform a certain role like that's how we pull the string it's like a thread that unravels the whole sweater right and we have to get to the roots of it because if you say something like why are disabled people like not having privilege it doesn't have to be that way because it's not biological right because somebody has a disability i mean we know that pain and other issues can certainly be you know that's kind of a different topic in terms of the effect on people but in terms of social oppression, like in an equitable society, like people who have a disability wouldn't be at a disadvantage because they need special protection because it wouldn't be about the cost of, of, of supporting somebody who can't work physically in the way that other people can. Like that shouldn't be in an equitable society. It wouldn't be a disadvantage. People would just be taken care of regardless of, of the different abilities they have. But capitalism, right, it, and has constructed a world where if you can't perform this certain thing as a worker, then you are useless and you're not going to be supported. Mm-hmm. So that's a construct. Of, so there we have, you know, disability and ability privileges have been decided by capitalism, right? So yeah. I think capitalism, like you were, like you were saying too, Phoenix, is like, that wouldn't have happened without colonialism. That was the, the starting, that was the... The, um, the the seed fund for capitalism, the banks, the first companies, private companies that would turn into industrial corporate, corporations after slavery that turned into the Industrial Revolution. All that was seed funded by slavery and land staff. Mm-hmm. So, like, we have this and private property. That's how the, the money making of private property, that industry started. So, like, we, we have this whole, you, you unravel the thread to these roots that have to be addressed that really encompasses whole worldview that's constructed our economy and everything Um, and so I you know we can't really address one without the other and I think it brings us to an important point about like so what's the importance of this what's the impact maybe on social movements and why why we have to talk about this stuff you know um, you know one thing I can think of is you know especially as an organizer when I'm involved in organizations you know, a huge thing again, especially because of just how powerful white privilege is. You know, you go, with, you know, I, I would be going to meetings or, or when I was starting to go around to different organizations to find my place to organize before fury and things like that. You know, I would go to go to meetings at organizations, a lot of left organizations that would just be like, okay, we're going to talk about class and fascism and they don't want to talk about identity politics. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like it's so overwhelmingly white privileged to the point where leadership is all white and they can't acknowledge that or deal with that. Or the the way that power is constructed within organizations that claim that they're trying to solve a certain problem, they reinvent the wheel inside their own internally, where because they're not dealing with these issues or because they prop up sexist, misogynistic men who get their way through bullying, their way through organizations and playing off (laughs) of women's own you know, maybe insecurities and mm-hmm. lack of privileges there with sexism, you know what I mean? Like, yep. There's there's so much that if this isn't addressed in totality in different organizations, it's just like it, you know, they're playing the game of the oppressor, you know?
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And I find that to be, like, just uh, I know, I'm so fucking tangential today, I'm sorry but um, <clears throat> I do find that to be an issue in general when it comes to a lot of social justice movements is that, um Intentionally or not, they tend to end up replicating the societal structures that we're supposed to be opposed to, right? And so it's like you do end yes. up having these social justice things that have white people in power or have pred- predominantly men in power or you know the people with the most privilege in power. And I find that's not always the most effective way to get things done because it's like, why are we replicating the systems that we're supposed to be taking down? I do find that to be an issue, but you know, again, that I think falls back into the idea that um, people don't want to unpack their own personal privilege. And it's easy to get a lot of folks on the left, you know, especially like white folks to say something like, oh, yeah, I believe uh, systemic racism is real. And it's like, okay, so but what are we doing to combat that? And then that's, you know, that's when you get the crickets, because they don't want to acknowledge their own um, complicity in these things or how to make these things better. And it's like, you know, if you would, even do something basic like start signal boosting uh works of non-white folks that would even be important because already we're dismissed and it's like we can't even get uh you know a lot of uh, white folks in social justice spaces to do that and it's like really disappointing when you can't get folks to do like the most basic steps to move forward and because you know we, the whole system does need to come down but it's like if you can't even get folks to do basic things like um, signal boosting or deferring to leadership of other folks. It's like, well, how are we actually going to move on when you won't even do the most basic steps? So, you know, but again, I think that goes back to the confronting the privilege and the, that individualism thing is that, you know, it's just, well, it's other people, but it's not me. Right. Or it's uh, well, I've unpacked all my privilege. I'm, I'm done with the work. I don't have anything else to do, even though I don't implement, uh, the things that I've allegedly learned, you know, it's, it's a problem.
4: Right, you know, it's it's a societal group thing, like you know, like we talked about earlier. That it's not like an individualistic thing, but it is up to individuals to change it, and that's where we have agency. That's where we have to choose a different path. Everyone, right? Um, so I think that's you know that's important because if individuals who want to be, if they want, you know, and we have to be real, a lot of people will use this jargon, but they don't want to be part of a revolution. They don't really want to you know they want the world to change but they don't want to be they don't see that if the world is going to change they have to change right and they have to be and you know and you know if when it comes to combating privilege to be real about it it means you have to give something up to to it's going to inconvenience you it's going to it might mean that maybe you don't have maybe your job shouldn't exist there's the industry that you're working in shouldn't be existing, and what are you going to do then? Will you support the fact that you might have to really significantly change your life, and it might materially impact you? Mm-hmm. It might mean that you, especially when it comes to, you know, again, and this is the thing, I don't think this covers for all different forms of privilege, you know. It's, it's very unique. But, you know, if we're talking, speaking especially to like white privilege, you know, it might mean that it, when that has a really strong economic impact. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it might mean that you, you can't live in the same place. Maybe there needs to be, you know, a big, you know, gentrified area that you can afford because of your nonprofit job or your nice corporate job or something like that. Maybe that shouldn't exist, and needs to become affordable housing. And then where are you going to live? Maybe someplace that's nice. Maybe you're not going to get, maybe your material conditions are going to change and you're going to have to work with people to be equitable in a new way. Like as part of a community that's going to have to change, right? And that's, that's hard for some people, and they don't want to take that step. Um, by the way, did we still have somebody on the line, or did they, did they
1: lose Williams? Oh, um, seven seven three. I I had opened up their mic, but they hadn't pressed the button, so maybe they were just listening by telephone, which can be convenient. Okay. I used to I used to do that when I first found <laughs> Blog Talk Radio. And also, anyone tuned in live uh, from the Twitter or the Facebook, if you've got some gangster shit to say with Doctor Springler, <laughs> that's uh, you can call in at three four seven eight five seven three nine three seven. Once again three four seven eight five seven three nine three seven the british accented voice will prompt you to press the number one key if you would like to leave a comment and i will get a notification on the screen on my end and um
3: oh, i was just yeah. checking my twitter notifications to see if anybody respond it's got likes and retweets but no comments underneath so
1: right yeah like there's even someone in the chat room but they just haven't commented they're just uh just, Just listening listening, listening via chat room, and that—that's that's all right. <laughs> Tune the hell in. Uh, fuck, we'll, and we'll keep cranking them. Uh, this uh, Talk Fury business will be back at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time every Sunday that we can. We will. Yes. All right, and um, I guess we don't... Uh, I don't talk about this as much as I used to because it's like... there's so many of the same people in the echo chamber it's like Mm -hmm. how many times do they want to see me say the same sentences in different remixes Mm -hmm. but like despite uh, racism and whatnot as a cis hetero black male there is um, unearned advantage there is privilege there Mm -hmm. but I just I, I rather just get active and take action and do what I can in the capacity with which I function which is mostly the workplace right if I'm not at the workplace I'm at home I don't have friends. Okay. <laughs> and um so they're uh, um
3: we're friends.
1: <clears throat> yes, ma'am. I have got a whole friend, a stepson, and cats. I have a stepson that be telling people on Xbox they can fuck around and find out. I don't know what the hell his deal is. And let me go ahead and open up the uh telephone line of seven seven three. And your microphone is indeed hot. I think I've seen your number before.
0: Yes, my name is Eric, and I am calling from the uh, most gentrified uh, neighborhood (laughs) in America, Logan Square.
3: Oh, Logan, all right, yes, I know Logan Square. Eric Eric is Fury. Yes.
1: Yes,
0: Um, I just wanted to add, um, you know, it's not only when you think about, um, you know, it's it's also the denial of privilege of... um, you know, as as things get a lot more heated and critical in terms of revolutionary movements um, that have been made, um, that have been realized by you know black people going into the streets um, with you know with bottles and bricks and you know by any means necessary getting their reparations from a lot of corporate stores. Um, you know the. The, what the, the establishment does is exert um, economic uh, economic privilege in black communities to um, for representation um, to 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 sort of mute uh, black protest. And so what I mean now is that there's a whole lot of non and I think you talked about this on your last program, but there are a whole lot of movements that are funded by the white liberal elite and white corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, you see black lives matters is very popular in the cor- in corporate America right now. Some of the folks that are, you know, you look at, you mentioned Amazon factories, the way they treat their workers, yet they're sponsoring a lot, you know, nonprofit, you know, sort of, um, a bougie black elite, yeah. um, as they used to call them the bullies, that end up based upon their privilege um speaking for the exploited black communities and i think it's a a real serious issue these are folks that um they've earned a a level of privilege um in white institutions and that makes them worthy and of course non-threatening uh to this this system and then they end up speaking um, for black America yep. and getting very wealthy um, from that. So I think that is another part of privilege that goes on in the black community.
3: Yeah, uh, I think we like to call them black misleadership class around here.
0: <laughs> absolutely., <laughs> yes. absolutely, yes. absolutely. And it's very, very real. and mm-hmm. um, you know, and so that's and that's a lot of the folks that are doing, they are getting... I mean, like you remember Ferguson. That's when Black Lives Matter got got um, got really established. Yeah. But there were black leaders that were actually from that community, and many of those black leaders have been... Uh, well, they say it's suicide yes. and all these things. Right. Well, but this is a real problem that... Um, you know, folks like Bruce Dixon, um, I believe, who kind of coined that term yes. uh, for Black Agenda Review. You know, he spoke about a lot. And now that he's made transition, no one's really talking about it. So it was cool to hear that you were talking about it last time. And, um, you know, I think that needs to be added, uh, added to the... Um, to the list of a type of privilege and I, yes. i'll take my i'll listen off I'll, I'll you know listen now
4: yeah thank you oh. well, yeah well quick question eric if you were still um would you classify that then maybe as would that be class privilege just for the sake of since we've kind of been dissecting this issue um is that the black bourgeois is a class privilege is that is that the way this is functioning so we can leave this in you know
0: yeah, it's a definite class privilege and it's historic. Um, you know, Malcolm X, you know, calls them the House Negroes and I think we're seeing it now with the Biden election. You know, they you know, the, the black people in the field are saying let's burn the let's burn the, the plantation, let's let's burn the, the, the master's house down and um you know you've got plantation negroes and they're they're saying you know, why would we do that? You know, um, you know, it's just sort of like you know, the master, the 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 the, the, the negro, the, the station in the slave in the fields wanted to poison the master, and and the house negroes say, "What what's the matter, master? We sick." Um, so these have been used over and over again to um, to oppress the black community, as Franz Fanon would call them, compradors. And so, yes, it is a class privilege that becomes weaponized.
4: That's a great example. Um, And I think that's a great way to illustrate for people who might say, okay, well, we're oppressed. Like in that case of like black people across the board being oppressed, so then why is there a class distinction that feeds off of the other people even less privileged in the field, for instance, that there is a clear impediment. liberation as long as there are privileged distinctions within um, a very oppressed society. And
0: and white folks look for these people. I mean, if you look at Stacey Abrams, you know, who is, (laughs) you know, shamelessly, you know, flirting and trying to strong-arm her way to be you know, under President uh, uh, President Biden's VP, of course she she probably be Trump's VP too if it, if he were if he gets elected. But you know, this is a woman who ran, got funding from Mike Bloomberg to run a anti-voter suppression uh, um, nonprofit, even though she was part of the legislation that uh, suppressed black votes. So I mean, these these are these are. And this is the most troubling thing that I see: that so-called white elite, um, black-loving white people, uh, they, they, you know, they, they, you know, ignore black radical voices, and they find these this Uncle Tom leadership that will agree with them, and they pay these these folks very well. Hello? Yeah. Yeah,
3: that's my comment. Yeah, no, I absolutely um, agree with that. And I think that um, in addition to being uh, a class issue, it's also a gatekeeping issue. And unfortunately, it's a really insidious way to uh, repeat white capitalism and imperialism as we see it, which is only a few people get to go ahead and then the gates get closed. And the last group that got ahead maintains the gates to make sure nobody else gets through. You know, and I, I think that's what a lot of that is. And I think that's really unfortunate that black black folks will be complicit in that but they are and it's like well now i'm comfortable and i don't want to lose my comfort i don't want to you know i don't want to upset things i don't want to upset my white friends right i don't want to upset the white liberals i don't want to uh, upset the white people who finally let me walk in through the front door and it's like it don't mean shit if you get to walk through the front door if everybody else still has to come in through the back door <laughs> like fuck your front door nigga yeah. Fuck your front door.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that was with Ralph Ellison uh, when he wrote that book, uh, Invisible Man, a very brilliant a very yeah. brilliant book. Um, but that was Dr. Bledsoe. Uh, and um, it was modeled off of Booker T. Washington. Um, but again, that sort of, um, you know, controlling the black masses. Um, so no, I mean, it's real deep.
3: Yeah, and I think that, like, also, it's important to note that because this is gatekeeping, because this is based on um, a sort of like white supremacist, capitalist, imperialist type of society, right, which is uh, very uh, steeped in hierarchies, and so you want as yeah. uh, as few people as possible to make it to the next level, right? Like, that's actually the goal. That's where yeah. the system is set up, and I think that's something that's important to note with this is that um, <clears throat> as they do this, they're intentionally closing off the way for more black folks to have um more ability to move up social ranks or to uh see justice or to see any type of equity and that's absolutely an intentional move and white folks know this on some sort of level and that's why they engage in this same sort of hierarchy because they don't need a hundred black people. They need who a fucking a Stacey Abrams, a Joanne Reed and uh what was the other one that I can't fucking stand?
2: Oh no M S
3: N B C
1: Joanne Reed, Stacey. oh God,
0: Nick Pickens,
1: yeah. Uh, Wait, still, you know, there I mean, were they, the they, one that
0: NBC owned by GE, the the, the war right. profiteers. Uh, they're they're just a dime a dozen over there, exactly.
3: And that's but that and then that's the thing though is like it's the same like ten people over and over and over, right? It's the same fifteen people yeah, over and over. Yeah. like there's not even yeah, a lot no, of people. Yeah, and them it's, it's really,
0: um, you know, it's. And at times like these, which are really and and you and, know, and a huge impact, of course, is the um, what really gets is the you know, gay, lesbian, transgender community um, because they've really started buying out those leaders as well, mm-hmm. and you know, that all of it does is it breeds even more homophobia. Um, in the black community mm-hmm. when they find Uncle T- Tom leadership and Uncle Aunt Jemima leadership in those communities as yes. well. Yeah. So I know, you know, homophobia, all of that has always <laughs> been, well, has been, as you pointed out, um, which was very brilliant, um, when we, you know, those issues became issues once we got to America. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, uh, because in Africa... There were, you know, those lines were, were porous. Where in America, they, you know, they, they of course, have to put those, those gender roles there and the homophobia. Yeah. Um, but on top of the, 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 the problems that we have with homophobia in the black community, it gets worse when the white elite start then picking well we've 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 got the, the the negro the the black men who are sellouts and now we get the black women that are sellouts. But now we go and we get, you know, the, the movements from the um you know the gay lesbian trans communities who are sellouts and then it just pits us all all against each other. So we really have to be careful, you know, to start calling out the the black misleadership class, um, you know, for our own unity. I hope I'm making sense here.
3: No, that completely makes sense. Because, you know, like, what's in my head as you're saying this, especially when it comes to the LGBTQ community is... You know, pride. It used to be about Black trans women throwing yeah. bricks at cops. Now it's about we have to let cops in and hug them. Now apparently, <laughs> like exactly. if that isn't exactly. um, if that isn't evidence of a movement being taken over by liberalism and corporate interests, like I really can't find you a better example. Like really,
0: absolutely, and the the Trojan horse was the corporations i remember when um you know gate pride was a very cool interesting thing to be at Mm. um you know in terms of the black market vendors the african market vendors that would be there as well um just lots of cool stuff but now It's all floated by major corporations and some of the worst politicians. Mm. Um and yeah, so no, and then now it's the you know, now it's the military. You know, with gays in the military, you know, you too can go um, you know, fly drones and eradicate black communities in Africa and Latin America. I mean no, so I mean it's You know, we really have to get really scientific about this and not just scientific, but bring this information out into the streets and the communities. And you folks, uh, uh, um, you folks are doing a great job. So I I thank you.
4: We're trying our best. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Eric. Um, You know, I think that's, I'm trying to. I have a lot of thoughts on this with the um, LGBT kind of assimilation movement and how to how how to tie it into uh, privilege here in order to not go on too much of a tangent. But um, you know, I think I think when we see assimilation movements like that, you know, when we look at the the LGBT movement over the last maybe two decades, uh, roughly, you know, it, it's been it's changed from a very um, you know, gay liberation movements from Stonewall to really simplify this to it turn into a very much like let's get legitimized by power the way it is instead of fighting it. We're gonna make gay marriage, for instance, the big issue, you know, mm-hmm. and again, nothing against gay marriage in just for being gay marriage, but like it, it, it's it's. In a similar, it's an integration program, much like the civil rights movement was. And there were disagreements in the civil rights movement about do we want to assimilate into white society or do we want to have black power and nationalism in our own movement or for freedom or do we want to just ask for rights from the prevailing oppressive society, right? So the LGBTQ movement took that. They're like, let's assimilate, let's get gay marriage so we can be part of society. But the second they do that, you know, now we, you know, years on after marriage equality now we're seeing that like there's a huge distinction now within the lgbt community of like all the different forms of privilege invade a group that was marginalized and i'm not going to say they're not so marginalized but you know you get white gays who move to the suburbs and adopt kids and they have a lot of the same privileges arguably now it's just Mm -hmm. straight white people in the same suburb if they're if they are acceptable enough if they're respectable enough to the prevailing, you know, privileged people like white, straight people, then they fit into the nuclear family. They don't upset the the system in that way and the comfortability of people, you know, very conservative people then, you know, then they will be accepted and have rights. But then you see all these, so there's, there's a big split in the LGBT community Pete- between class and race, and now you see the white LGBTQ people who are like, hey, we got our, like, we're good. You know, screw yeah. you to all the poor is- LGBT kids that are black and brown being incarcerated at high rates, or who are homeless. Hmm. They don't care anymore because they they got their slice. Right. So I, I got, got mine. That's Fuck that's you. Another distinction: yeah, the privilege just starts breaking up, and it destroys a group of people that had that could fight for freedom on a certain basis. And I think you know, and it mirrors what happened in the black community to an extent after integration. So. I, I think it's interesting when we don't fight for the roots when we when we when we don't fight to get at the roots of oppression and like an entire system like white supremacist capitalism, then we just all of a sudden those privileges will come in and it will tear apart those issues that people are fighting for anyway to, to free themselves from.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people get into that mindset of I got mine, fuck you, and because and you know on some level I understand it because when you're um, marginalized, especially if you're multiply marginalized, it's hard. You want to have safety. You want to be able to wake up and feel safe. You want to be able to have enough money to, you know, pay your rent and have food in your fridge. And suddenly, when you haven't had that, and now you do, there is a powerful temptation to leave people behind, but you know, I just can't get around leaving people behind knowing that you came from this, you know, you lived this life. You went to bed hungry. You had to run away from people who were trying to beat you up because of uh, your race or your gender or uh, your sexuality. And it's like, I just can't, I just can't get behind leaving niggas behind.
1: Yeah. Like basically like this, like systemically, like taking a few marginalized people, right. And kind of propping them up so that you can make your propaganda examples. It's like putting some sugar on the boot. It is, you know? it the, is. The boot goes down easier.
3: The boot, do- just a yeah. spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down.
1: Right, and then after they've had about a, a, a decade of good really? boot.
3: That was a brilliant a Mary Poppins reference, and
1: sugar. you just let it go. What happened?
3: The Mary Poppins, she had a whole song about, ki- she was like a nanny, and the kids wouldn't take her medicine, and so she made a whole song about, just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Yeah, that's exactly what the fuck that is.
1: One of these days, you're going to memorize how ignorant I truly am. <sighs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: But, and I think that's the thing about that, too, is that not only um, it only takes like one, they only need one or two or three, like they don't need all of us. And once they have the three, they're like, we got what we need. We have our talking points. We have our memes. We have our, you know, our fucking MSNBC clips or whatever. And just, you know, fuck it.
1: Or like even my example that I always bring up when I'm talking about, you know, how how it fucking sounds when when we say the word female like that. Notice that the example I gave is typically a hip-hop context is somebody wants to bring in another voice to kind of make it sound a fresher, expand yeah. the sound. But they always say, a female. Let's bring in one. Mm-hmm. One representative from the collective is all we need for all of us 20 guys.
3: Exactly. I mean, <laughs> that's really true, though. is when you have the, the power in the situation and you want to look you know woke or whatever it is like you don't need um varied representation you just need one or two folks and that's really all you need and that's and that's why fucking um you know uh like uh, Joanne reed is such a popular name right because they yeah. only need one they got the one that's and even and that's not even just a liberal thing that's a, across the board fucking concert. they have candace owens and diamond and silk who the fuck else they need
1: they don't, jack they don't shit,
3: they don't need anybody else,
1: and you know what they got two types of coon with that, right Candace owens fine she's like a what? what do they call it trad wife, yes, yeah, she's very stepford wife cooning you know and then they have the buck dance and diamond and silk, yeah, and you made me think of it like um uh, like how that privilege is welded, you know for like extra exploitatively you know beyond um monetary, like when I think of um i I was such a hip hop nerd. That I would actually read interviews for groups I didn't even like, you know, when I was a teenager. And I remember reading the 36 Mafia and uh, Gangsta Boo being interviewed. Mm-hmm. And she was like, Oh, yeah, and uh, DJ Paul, uh, we used to date for a while when I first got with the group. And it's like, really? New young female talent yeah. just happens to be dating the producer. And I don't think, like, uh, oh, that's her trying to sleep her way to the top. No, that's him welding his power. It's like, Are you really incentivized to say no to the date with a new producer that could put you on these gold-selling records? Right, exactly. They weren't platinum yet. (laughs) They weren't platinum yet.
3: But yeah, no, I think that's really accurate, and that's um, just how people use their privilege, but they don't want to talk about that, right? No. They they don't want to talk about that.
1: No, because how they're going to frame it, like... What? I asked and she said yes. Right, She's like, just re- really into me, bro. Yeah, remove all expanded context. Yeah. Which is, because yeah, oppressors don't need to make sense. And the less contents, the less se- less context, and less sense you need well, to but make. But
3: context makes it less consensual. And oppressors love pretending that what they do is consensual. So, you know.
1: And also, at least they got good representation, though.
0: Woo. Dean judge, and I am running to be the next host of Jimmy Kimmel Live.
1: <laughs> all right. P. Buttigieg can run for president and host a Jimmy Kimmel Live. Mm. These, mm-hmm. these, are, these are the things that make the world go better. You really? know this Miss Phoenix-McColored woman. Really? Oh, I know what you sound like. I know what you're, you're into. Oh, what am I into? You're on that Eric shit.
0: I tell you, you call him a nigger. That's what the white man calls him, a nigger. See, you have to understand this type of thinking. And under, to understand this type of man, you must understand that historically, there were two types of slaves, the house negro and the field negro. Now, the house negro, he lived in the house next to his master, in the big house, either in the basement or up in the attic. He dressed pretty good, he ate pretty good, but the master left him. He loved his master. I say he loved his master better than the master loved himself. If the master said, we got a nice house here, he said, yeah, boss, we got a nice house here. Master's house caught on fire, the house Negro would be the one who'd run to put the blaze out. If the master got sick, he said, what's the matter, boss? We sick, we sick. You see, this is the thinking of the house Negro. Now, if another slave came up to him and said, let's run away, let's separate, let's get away from this cruel master. He said, why? What's better than what we got here? Run away. I'm not going anywhere. This is the house, Negro. Did you Mm know?
1: And those are the things. I am the hip hop socialist. Standing in the midst of my comrades, comrades. When they came through, they hollered like, what up, comrade? All right, comrades, this is Wine Cellar Media. Yes, ma'am. I was going
3: to say, I also appreciate that he specified um, male slaves. Like, I take a little comfort in that myself. Because, mm. you know, because I know people make, like, the house Negro jokes all the time, but it's like, let's not pretend that the light-skinned women who got to be in the house weren't there for a reason, and it yeah. wasn't the cooking.
1: Well, I mean, on on a <laughs> program that I regularly critique, and we're wrapping up here, this was Talk Fury, we're, we're uh, seven minutes over our hour, but the... Um... Uh, I, I regularly critique uh, Gus T Renegade's um, context of white supremacy program because they do talk about oh, white man. supremacy, but from a very conservative perspective. Like these are the type of black people that would be Republicans if they still weren't running on the Southern strategy. Right. And um, <clears throat> and yeah, they they uh they they bring that shit up quite regularly. Yeah. Man. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a Talk Fury. I almost want to do a part two to this. It seems like it should still be going.
3: We can do a part two. We can do a part two next week.
1: Yeah, I just, I have to get up and go do a 13-hour shift yes. in, well, a few hours. A few hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this was, again, Dr. Springler. Do you have a, a, a closing thought for you? You, you, you make the people yeah. want to hear a part two. Yeah, you know, I
4: have a, I think a part two is a great idea. And I think I have a closing thought question or prompt that maybe we could bring into the next week is like you know talking you know the the examples we gave um and that eric and phoenix and y'all have have said about like plantation politics you know if we're looking at um you know people who are enslaved for instance this might seem like an extreme example because you know okay you could say slavery was abolished but we know we can unpack this next week. It's trickled down into now, and it, there's, you know, plenty. So, um, for instance, you know, in these scenarios that like Malcolm X was talking about, a black man who might have, you know, some privilege in the house, but does he have male privilege? If he's, an, if he's enslaved, does he have male privilege? And how do we distinguish that? Is he benefiting? But what does it mean to benefit if you are so oppressed in so many other ways? You know what I mean? It, it, it's a lot of different directions. I think something like that could be taken. Is it is it, would he have male privilege?
1: Indeed, there, there, there's our question. And um, and Eric, I I see you are you are still there. Do you have a a close closeout? I I know you're you're jazzed right now.
0: No, <laughs> well, you know, um, I think it was a great show, and I will rest on the doctor's quote. Um, but I just, you know, my 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 always is like, what do we do? What do we need to do to rebel and resist?
3: There it is. Get the work done,
1: folks. winesellermedia.com dot com. All right, um, <clears throat> we will catch you again next week. There will be the same call in number, right? Three four seven eight five seven three nine three seven. Uh, folks can call in, talk that gangster shit if need be, or leave comments like uh, we had the homie Jessica Loco from Facebook leaving comments right here in the um, in a chat space right on the live show. So come and get interactive. And uh, if you want to support the whole thing and keep it up and running with uh, some new folks have signed up, yes. that is uh, patreon.com slash wine media fund. We don't have a tiered system yet. Phoenix Toledo says there are some people requesting some sort of tears.
3: Yeah, some people just want to know if they pay more, if they can get more than just early access, and I don't know. We'll we'll talk about it. Some
1: exclusive shit. There's so many white-on-white crimes, we can deliver you a great deal of comedy. We can. As long as as there are booze and white men. In Florida. and Florida, (laughs) there will be comedy stories. All right, let's get the heck darn out of here. Dr. Springler. you be safe out there. All right, you too now. Peace. End episode. Blam. I almost
3: want to have like a, like how they used to do, recording, oh, we yeah, sure recording? Rec- yeah, recording. Yeah, recording. Nice oh, it. Oh, how they used to end up like old time like TV shows like that fucking old Batman shit in the 60s with Adam West. Like, tune in next week to find out what happens. Same bad time, same bad channel. <laughs> like, we, need one of, we need
1: one of those. <laughs> same wine glass, same wine bottle.
3: One glass they want <laughs> but yeah just be like just so you know there's a continuation of this topic
1: and yeah. it is a continuation that, right. that because you know what in a world of injustice that gla- that glass bottle never runs out ever we're still drinking from the bottle of injustice <sighs> when will we be done
3: i mean it's less like drinking and more like being waterboarded by it but okay
1: that's that's cold game it's true though and and watch the goddess of irony is going to do it like the next white on right crime story you're going to find waterboarding. is waterboarding waterboarding with whiskey though <laughs> like, college yeah. stu- it, w- it was a beer pong challenge florida
3: man <laughs> has tragic accident as hazing goes wrong oh, and is no. waterboarded by
1: <laughs> waterboarded with beer but they didn't know how fizzy it would get <laughs> oh no yeah, I, I I I I I don't know why people tune into this shit. I don't know, man. <laughs> All right. Thank
4: you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.